episode 149 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 25th of October, 2021. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Howdy. Graham. Hello. And Will. Good evening. Let's start with first impressions. We looked at Haiku. This describes itself as an open source OS that is inspired by BOS, fast, simple to use, easy to learn, and yet very powerful. So this is not Linux, but it is open source and it is an operating system. Now, I said before that with these obscure operating systems and distros, they live and die by their documentation. In this case, the documentation is excellent as far as I can see. And so it was actually a pretty good time, if a little bit weird and unusual. Will, you got quite excited in our little Telegram group about this. Yeah, my first impression was that I really liked it. It felt like I was discovering a new operating system. It was fun to explore. It was interesting to learn about the way that it works and the features that are just sort of hidden beneath the surface. I had a really nice time exploring it and learning how to use it. And Phelan, you got Telegram working in this. I did. It was remarkably simple. They've got quite a good packager depot and i had a list through some of their they've kind of got like a a list of all packages and then they've kind of got the nicer graphic looking one list of curated ones and telegram was on it and i clicked install and it took quite some time for some reason i don't know what it was doing and uh yeah worked like a charm popped it up told it my number and it linked into my account i had to approve it job done that timing thing is a weird duality in this To initially install it, you press install, and it's like, done. Yeah. What? That can't be it. To be fair, it doesn't sort out the bootloader, and I did get caught out by that. But it is in the documentation, so that's my fault. And it is perfectly fine once you read the documentation and work out how to do that. But then doing a full system upgrade took fucking ages, and installing software took ages as well. And that's just this weird juxtaposition there. Yeah, I kind of half wonder what their resources are for the update servers. Maybe they're just running on a Amstrad or something. I don't know. Well, yeah, downloading it was fairly slow. But even once it had the packages, installing them was slow as well. And yet that initial installation is just blindingly fast. So fast, it just seems like it can't possibly be done. Certainly when the install was finished and it was time to reboot, I blinked and missed it. Basically, it had shut down, rebooted, and was back in the desktop before I could even take the USB stick out. It was amazingly fast. But I had a similar experience to failing when I installed Telegram, that everything went very smoothly, and I said, oh, no, no, it's fine for me. And then suddenly, yes, there was this sort of glitch in the middle. I have not investigated. I have no idea what it's doing in there. But I don't know. I didn't find it to be uh, a blocker or even a, a major annoyance. It just got installed, and after that, everything was fine. Yeah, it's the speed that really stuck in my mind just the speed of i mean i did install it in a vm not natively but even in a vm it instantly appears you 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 start the vm and then you have a desktop and i hate to say it, but it just reminds me of the amiga it also reminds me of the amiga graphically especially with the new icons icon set in there but then heiku is kind of um well bos at the time is is from the similar time as amiga os so that's obviously the inspiration for its look. And also, there are still features in there that haven't really... The file manager, for example, is kind of neat in the way that you can drag windows on top of one another and they become like a tabbed view, which is neat. Um, you can also kind of lock windows together and move them around. So there's some window manager features, which I think could still work. 
um, you know, if they were added to Plasma KDE, I'd, I'd probably use them a little bit, especially the tab drag and drag view. Um, now that you can only have two tab views in Dolphin. I used Heiku in 2008 for a magazine article, um, and I read that again as part of um, research for this. And it's surprising how little has changed in the way that it looks and operates. But one thing I did mention in 2008 was the documentation was really poor. Um, so it's really great to see that one of the things they have done in that time is improved the documentation. And, you know, I agree with Joe, it's now really good. Yeah, which is just so important for a niche project like this. But on the topic of VMs, that's quite interesting because the installer and partitioner doesn't seem to be able to create a partition table. So what I had to do was boot into a Ubuntu ISO first, create a partition table, I think, and a partition, but I don't think I needed to do that. Then swap out the ISO back for a Haiku, install it, and then it was fine. Oh, that's bizarre. So for me, I was doing it in a VM, but it was a raw image. I built the installer and it said, yeah, geez, I don't have anything here to, to work with. But I noticed there was a drop down at the bottom that I could just go into a partition manager and I was able to right click on it and then say, just make that all a BIOS file system. Yeah. And then it worked okay. So uh, yeah, maybe they need to advertise that a bit more. Because uh, in the documentation, it said that it wouldn't be able to do that. So that's why. Yeah. See, I think that must be from a slightly older version or something. I'll uh, take it back. Documentation shit. <laughs> <laughs> I did find that hardware support was lacking. Now, I'm not surprised, and, I'm, and this is not something that I was expecting to work. The Wi-Fi worked, and that amazed me, but the camera didn't work, and so far I don't think I've managed to get the microphone working either. The Wi-Fi didn't work on my desktop. That's why I went to the VM. But then I did actually install it on my desktop again and just used a laptop and shared the Wi-Fi with that because I must have said this before, but where my office is, I just can't get wired, so I have to deal with Wi-Fi. But I was very impressed with the selection of software. Like I searched for VLC, yeah, as if that's bloody hell, it's there. Installed it, works perfectly. Yeah, and actually, being still an Amiga user, sorry to bring it up again, but when you Amiga software often has a BIOS haiku option, I just keep saying haiku. Um, and so I, I think almost anything you can get for the Amiga, so anything updated, when they've gone to the trouble of doing that, there's, sof- there's often a haiku port for this, of the same software. Something I've noticed. Right. Yeah, and I thought it was quite strange, the quantity of QT software. Like, there's even the Caligris uh, Office Suite is in there and a, a few other bits and pieces too. So That's interesting. I was going to mention this, actually, but I once spoke to Benoit Schilling, who used to work for um, Trolltech and was one of the lead directors of Qt at the time. Um, and he was one of the founding developers on BOS. Ah. And was even then was really passionate about the work that he'd done and was really excited to be working for the company at the time. He was like the third hire. And even when I interviewed him in the late 2000, 2009, um, he was still talking about how exciting that time was and how unfulfilled it was that BIOS never got any further. So maybe he contributed some of those cute apps. That makes more sense now. And the community seems pretty nice from the very brief interaction I had. Mr. Waddlesplash is what he's called on Twitter. I don't know what his real name. He tweeted us having heard that we were going to talk about it and um, offered to help. And I said, all right, cool. I'll let you know if we need any help. But ultimately, I didn't need any. It was all either intuitive or the documentation covered it. So thanks for the offer, but it just wasn't needed. There was one thing that I was a little disappointed by, and I'm not disappointed, that's not the right word. I I expected this to be the case, but I couldn't find Firefox. Now, I haven't looked very hard, but as far as I can tell, there isn't a Firefox build. Am I wrong? I looked for Firefox and didn't find it and just gave up, so there's obviously not an easy one. Yeah, so the browser that's the 
the default browser, which is called Web Positive. I ran a few of the HTML5 tests, and it's generally it's very good. Um, but I did find there were a few things that didn't work, like the Spotify website, for example, didn't work, which was a shame. Is is what I mean by that? If that had worked, it would have been brilliant. Um, maybe they can do something. Yeah, I went to YouTube and it could play videos, but not very well. Couldn't full screen them, and it just didn't seem to work very well. But YouTube DL and a GUI for it is in the uh, repo, and so that's how I got around that one. And then VLC played the files absolutely perfectly. I got YouTube to work, no problem. Really? Yeah. Weird. I went to in that browser and it worked fine. I even watched a documentary about killer whales not being actually whales. They're, in fact, dolphins. So there you go. But that's weird. It must be your cool AMD hardware versus my Intel, eh? Ah, there you go. See, AMD wins again. Ultimately, though, I think that there is probably a place in my life for Haiku on uh, an old laptop that I could just sort of sling in my bag and use as a a low-power, getting-stuff-done browsing the web machine. Um, I really like the speed of it. I like the the lightness of it. And it's just fun. Yeah, it's definitely fun. And, you know, I I said I was dreading it last time, and I feel bad for saying that because I thought it was just going to be shit and not work. But it does. It clearly is old school and whatnot, but it's it's a fun, different approach to things. And I would highly recommend people check it out, if even in a VM, which works pretty well, I found. So yeah, definitely uh, recommended. So normally at this point, we'd spin the wheel of mare, but I think we're going to have a week off. So it'll be probably a month before we, we do that again. Maybe in a couple of weeks, we'll spin the wheel because we've had so much feedback lately that it sort of pushed a couple of topics that we want to talk about out of the show. So uh, yeah, we'll have uh, some time off from the Wheel of Mare so I don't get to spin it and uh, pretend to, I mean, uh, <laughs> genuinely select yeah. the thing randomly. XFCE. Lies. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux and see why Linode has been voted the top infrastructure as a service provider by both G2 and Trustradius. From their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and their upcoming bare metal release. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. On to a bit of admin then, and thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. latenightlinux.com slash support if you want to join those people. And remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed, and that includes Late Night Linux, Late Night Linux Extra, and Linux After Dark. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. But again, email, please. Email show at latenightlinux.com. Let's do some feedback then. And the first one is from Mads. I heard the interview with Gary Kramlick and was really sad to hear that Pigeon had put all their eggs in the GTK basket. 
aren't we all? <laughs> GTK is so limited, true, and so is the number of developers working on the toolkit. Why not consider something built for cross-platform like Flutter? Flutter runs everywhere, it's modern, and despite being so young, it's already on the most popular cross-platform framework with a shitload of developers because Google is pushing it. Ubuntu has already made it clear that Flutter is part of the Linux desktop in the future with their new installer. So I would have loved to see Budgie, who recently moved from GTK to EFL, joining efforts with Canonical. Diversity is good, but a joint effort can really push things forward. Just think, if Mozilla and Canonical had made a phone together, rather than both projects failing, I'm sure they could have shared the same core instead of wasting resources reinventing the wheel. And Simon wrote in and said, I feel like there is a point that hasn't been addressed in depth in your many recent discussions about FOSS desktops, libraries and phones. If I was put in charge of all the Linux desktop teams, the first thing I would do is come up with a strategy for bringing all the excellent Android FOSS apps to the Linux desktop natively. Why do hardly any of the excellent apps on F-Droid also work on Linux? Why do GTK and EFL not support Android? Why does nobody use Qt on Android? Maybe Flutter is the solution. Maybe something else is. But whatever it is, it has to be well-maintained, well-documented, and every FOSS developer has to know about it, regardless if the app is developed desktop first or mobile first. As a community, we simply cannot afford to spend so much time and effort on developing the same applications multiple times for different platforms. There is a whole set of very good apps on F-Droid that have no comparable counterpart on the desktop, e.g. Newpipe, GadgetBridge and Tusky. I would invest some of the combined power of all the desktop teams to address this and also choose a couple of existing FOSS Android apps that would receive support with porting. So clearly these two emails are related. First of all, about Flutter, what do we think about that then? Is that really the future? I know that Canonical and Google like to think it is. I've seen some good things from Flutter. I think it's a bit too early. Um, and I also, I, I how much momentum has Google going to put behind Flutter? I would, you know, I wouldn't want it to see it be another Google reader. Another Stadia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Without looking too deeply in it, I've done a little bit of coding with it. It's quite nice. I Certainly the apps that I've tried you seem to get the mobile and desktop apps for free and the transitions are very nice, the nice kind of low resource usage, but nice FPS, that kind of thing. Um, Flutter could be. I'm not worried about Google abandoning Flutter. They have got Android and Chrome OS, two very different form factors, and Flutter solves the problem of getting app developers to develop once, write once, run both places, maybe not everywhere. And so I think that their investment in Flutter is not something that is going to go away unless it fails for some other reason. It's not just some whim. There is a direct goal for them there. And it also facilitates swapping out Chrome OS and Android for future, potentially. And, you know, that's the hedge there. But even if it doesn't, it still solves another problem immediately. And that's why... It's not like Stadia, which is a bit of a fucking brain fart, isn't it? Oh, yeah, let's stream games to people. That'll be great. This is an actual problem that needed a solution, and Flutter is the solution for that problem. As for his using Qt on Android, I mean, I actually have a few from the KDE project that I use. I have KStars, Kitinery, some of the travel apps and the calendar stuff is going to be there. I mean, yeah, I've obviously been using Kitinery loads in the pandemic there. <laughs> but uh, th- there is a fair few projects that, you know, I think could work f- come the other direction from desktop to phone. So I don't see why it couldn't happen. 
Yeah, we've had QML and the ability to do that for a long time. Maybe Qt has confused that with its many licenses. Actually, I, I really like the idea of the Linux desktop having Android apps on it. Um, and I've thought the same thing myself. And, and I'm also worried that Microsoft has stolen the lead in this with its recent kind of initiatives to make Android apps a first-class citizen on its desktop. You know, when, which seems a shame when there's the Linux kernel at the heart of the heart of it. Um, and I really feel like we've missed something there in not making them first-party citizens of the Linux desktop as well, because I've needed apps that I can get on F-Droid that I can't run on the desktop. Um, and you see things like, oh God, what's that wonderful new open source? Um, Android mapping software, and you just don't get that on on Linux. Well, there was Anbox and now Waydroid, which I suppose are more targeted at the Linux phones, but there's not really any reason why they can't be adapted to work on the desktop, is there? Yeah, I totally agree. And I guess I, what I'm talking about is just better integration with the desktop, things like notification and panel integration, and just generally something that makes them feel as transparent as they can be when they're in portrait on a landscape desktop. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, they're running within a container, which doesn't feel quite right. But I do like the idea. Though maybe they should be running a container, given that that's the environment, sandbox environment on a phone that they would be in. Mm. Exactly. That's the whole paradigm of phone apps, isn't it? And supposedly the future paradigm of all applications. What team do you work on again, Greg? <laughs> yeah, but I meant in terms of reaching out of the container and integrating better with the desktop. I mean, I meant more like a virtual machine and that they're running in an isolated window with very little in common with the rest of the environment. Yeah, I can see the problem, actually, now you point that out. But it, it does feel surmountable by clever people. But isn't that the Linux way? There's always something that needs to be surmounted. Okay, this episode is sponsored by CBT Nuggets, training for IT professionals or anyone looking to build IT skills. Go to cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux and sign up for a seven-day free trial. The on-demand virtual labs mean you can build practical experience with the commands, config, scripts, and everything you need to get the most out of each course. Another standout feature is the accountability coaching service, available to all learners with a subscription, which gives you access to a real person who will help you craft a personalized learning plan and set goals, and will check in with you to keep you accountable. So start your free seven-day trial today at cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux. It includes unlimited access to all course materials, including virtual labs. That's cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux. We've got a message from Robin. Since however long ago, the web and web standards followed the way of any great idea within capitalist society, commercialised to absurdity, I've come to accept this, comma, kinder. <laughs> now, when Mozilla has turned into its final form, Mecca Googzilla, I'll simply uninstall that crapware and stick to cute browser when necessary, NetSurf for the actually non-commercial and genuine creators on the web, and for leisure, I'll enjoy content creator on the Gemini Protocol. Hey, there we go. <laughs> which so far is totally void of any commercial interests trying to pervert our lovely online space. There are alternatives to Mozilla and Google. You just need to shift your perspective and accept that nothing lasts forever and that the pure past has turned obscene. The web is 85% dead. Love the last 15% and let the other part rest in peace along with the zombies. Long live Gopher, Gemini, Netsurf, Smallnet <laughs> and static independent websites from genuine people. 
Well, I get the last bit, all right, because I don't know how to do JavaScript properly. Well, yeah, and that's why our website is relatively basic, although by these standards, probably not, because WordPress is pretty complicated, I suppose. But uh, yeah, long live RSS feeds and not walled gardens and relatively basic websites. I'm sure I could do our website uh, as a static HTML page with something like Hugo or whatever, but WordPress is just easy. But I don't know, can you really just survive on the last 15% of uh, static websites? Most of them haven't even got SSL certs, for fuck's sake. No, I don't think you can. (laughs) You know, as much as I'd like to see. I mean, I've avoided Facebook, and I feel like that's, you know, that's been hard enough. And, you know, so many people using it and people making friendships that I just don't have. And that's, that's been difficult. Well, it's fucking impossible for me. My mate's missus is nine months pregnant and I have to keep checking Facebook every day because that's where I'm going to learn about it when the baby comes. And that's just the fucked up reality that we live in in 2021. That he's not going to text me. Yeah, I have to look on fucking Facebook. Why did you not like that post, Joe? <laughs> did you think the baby was ugly? <laughs> <laughs> but in the past, I have like emailed the headmasters or headmistresses of schools to say, you know, your Facebook page isn't your website. Um, you need to put that kind of information somewhere else so that other people can access it who don't happen to have a Facebook account. And I think it's worth always pushing back against things like that. Um, but it is difficult when communities self-organize and the best way for them to do so is on something like Facebook. And there isn't an alternative. I bet when he got that email, Graham, he opened it, read it, and he looked like a dog that had been shown a card trick. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I knew I'd become that person. I'd crossed that threshold. My daughter failed, and uh, now we're down to <laughs> on the street. <laughs> oh, I do it with my bank all the time, and I've even got one of those magic calculators now because I won't install the phone app. <laughs> and I know I got added to a list. <laughs> <laughs> it seems that Robin is living in a bit of a fantasy world, maybe. Or maybe not. Is is it really possible to live in this world? It's not for me. And if you really can, Robin, then good on you. That's all I can say. They genuinely may be happier. I've installed a plugin on uh, Firefox to stop all the recommendations in YouTube. And that's made my life happier. I'm certainly more productive. With with all the the stuff like the suggestion nonsense that was happening with Firefox that we covered last time, I turned off all the suggestions, which means... Firefox has become real misery to use because I have to now go and click on a bookmark in my bookmarks folder because it won't even autocomplete yeah. what I've already gone to in my history. And I'm just like, ah, oh, I hate myself. Why do I do this? Okay, Joel wrote to us and recommended Awesome Window Manager and had quite a lot of good things to say about that. So uh, yeah, we should probably check that out at some point. But also regarding the Telegram IRC bridge, I really like email too. I was wondering, why don't you guys try to implement a mailing list, which would basically be a decentralized forum that I'm sure some people would want? Still, an IRC is good enough too. I think you guys mentioned it. Is there a late-night Linux IRC chat? Or do you guys just mean that you use it personally for other things? Now, while I was compiling this feedback on Sunday night, I went to check the IRC room, which is on Libera chat, or however the fuck you say that. And there was like 30 people in there. Yeah, we all went quiet when you arrived and then we started chatting when we left. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just hash late night Linux on Liberia chat. And I think like 
let's just keep it on the show so only listeners know about this secret IRC. I'm not going to link to it anywhere. Hey, are you making it official, Joe? It's not official. There was no one, you weren't <laughs> even in there, I don't think. There was no one with op or anything. So No, there's no one with op, unfortunately. I was in there, though. So who started it? I started it. I just forgot. I forgot to get up before other people join. <laughs> oh, oh, so shit. are we just totally fucked now then? <laughs> Can we not get like somebody at Liberia Chat to fix that? <laughs> it feels like we might be able to. Yeah, hopping them. Yeah, there's 33 people in there now, including me. Oh, look, Joe's joined. Oh, he fucking swans in thinking he owns the place. Yeah, why don't I? Well, I'd have to register my nick first, and I haven't been bothered to do that. Oh, now Will's come. Oh, now, here we go. So there is an IRC room, but it is a proper fucking Wild West because there's there's not even any fucking half-up people in there. It's just a total free-for-all. So Jordan writes in, I help with maintaining some flat packs and just had a quick follow-up on the discussion about the misleading publisher information on the Flathub front end. You're not the only ones to notice this. It's already been a bug open with some helpful information and it looks like there's discussion on how it might be improved. And he gives us a link to two bugs that we'll link to. And it looks like they've been working on a new front end. So if you want a sneak peek, and he also gives us a link to the Signal app and they've got a, a new version coming out. From my observations, they do put the publisher field in for Firefox as Mozilla, which officially supports the Flatpak. Compared to Signal and most other apps, though, these are just listed as C details, whether official support or not. Flathub definitely prefers app developers to publish their own apps directly on Flathub and to maintain them, though I think they were previously more lax in those requirements. I've worked with a couple of application developers to help get their applications flat-packed, Thonny, Moserial, Siglo, and they've all been fully on board and even gone through the publishing process on Flathub themselves. I think a lot of apps, especially from smaller app developers, are officially supported, and it's a shame that there isn't a clear way to distinguish that. At least it's an improvement over the distro packages, right? Well, Jordan, thank you for writing in this, because it makes me feel a lot better about it. It makes me feel that it wasn't a deliberate attempt to try and mislead people. It was what I said it was, and just not very good UI, UX, whatever. And there are efforts afoot to improve it. All right, John wrote to us, I wanted to shine some positive light on the future. It's easy to look at the bad and have it overshadow the good. Let me shine some good news on what's been happening in recent years. And he's got a list. Hook me up. (laughs) Okay, right. Number one, the uptick in Linux usage. Look at Steam having 1% Linux user base as an example. (laughs) I'm depressed already. (laughs) 25 years in, we're doing it, we're doing it. Single digits, baby. In 100 years, we'll be on 3%. Whole fucking numbers. Whole fucking numbers. I believe OS usage numbers also show Linux increasing usage during 2020. We can't expect to take over the world, but it's gaining momentum. And that's something that we actually talked about on the recent Linux After Dark. And yes, we like to mock, but I think that 1% is, uh, you know, that's still a win. It's a pretty huge number in fairness. The 100% is pretty massive. Exactly. Number two, the free and open source community is taking great steps towards privacy. Look at matrix.org, for example. End-to-end encryption with no man in the middle like Facebook to consumer chats, nor governments. Yeah, that's fair enough. There's a lot of good stuff happening there. I haven't embraced it yet, but uh, there is good stuff there. Number three, Raspberry Pi, PinePhone, Framework, Fairphone, Linux-first laptop vendors, 
all businesses doing well, even with the competition of Apple and Google offering non-proprietary solutions. True. Yeah, fair enough. Number four, GIMP, Caden Live, LibreOffice, Inkscape, OBS, and so many others. Open source alternatives to proprietary software that's good. Now that, I think, is the key one because it doesn't matter about the platform, it's all about the applications. And Caden Live, as we talked about last time, is getting better. LibreOffice is absolutely brilliant as far as I'm concerned. does everything I need. And we've even got Apple jumping on the Blender Foundation as well. So I think there is a lot to be positive about. There's, you know, it's very easy to be negative. It's easy to shit on everything and probably more amusing. But, you know, John's made some good points here. I think things aren't doom and gloom. You've got to shift your perspective sometimes and, and actually appreciate the things that you have and, you know, be a bit more zen about it. Not be like, oh, yeah, we've got to have everyone using Linux or whatever and everything's got to be open source. We fit into an overall ecosystem and we do all right. Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when we'll probably be talking about what's been going on in the news. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Salem. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.